All right, good evening. Sorry I wasn't here for the first hour. Uh, the company I work for thought it was more important for me to sit and listen to boring stuff this morning. I, I promise you, it was boring stuff. Uh, Genesis chapter 6 this evening. It is good to be with you. It is somewhat of a miracle to have even gotten here with the schedule I had and uh, road work on the interstate and all of that fun stuff. But um, Nice to see some people in, in church on, on a Friday night. Um, you say, well, then we're not a very big church. Yeah, well, I'm... I counted, I don't know if I got the count right, I counted 24 people in here. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that there are 24 people that are, you chose to be here tonight instead of at home doing what most of the world is doing, including most saved people tonight, and that is that they are tuned into a television set having their head filled with the world's spiritual sewage. Because that's what it is. Uh, I've been uh, uh, at a work conference all week this week, and uh, the hotel where we were staying, it's equipped with a TV. Now, you might think, oh, don't tell me you don't have a TV at your house. Yeah, I have a TV at my house, but it's not connected to anything as far as TV goes. Uh, and I, you might say, oh, you're exaggerating. No, I don't watch TV at all, uh, ever. Uh, and I'm not saying that you have to be just like me. I think there's a lot of weird things about me, and I, I, I find me hard to live with sometimes. I don't, you don't need to be exactly like me. But because I don't ever watch TV while I was at the hotel, and uh, my wife isn't there, and my four kids aren't there, and there was no one to talk to or anything, I just turned that thing on and just, can I find anything decent? And there is, there is just filthy, foul language. There is violence, and when you finally find something that is neither filthy, foul language or violence, it's probably bad music. And when you find something that's not bad music, I'm telling you, the world, what the world thinks is funny now, is actually stupid. It's just stupid, it's just nonsense, Uh, and they're using that as some form of mind-numbing painkiller to try and take away the reality of the stupidness of the world around us today. And so it's good that you come to church because I I tell you what happens. You might walk out of here tonight and and you might think, well, I didn't necessarily get much from church tonight. Yes, you did and you will without even necessarily realizing it in the same way that the world uh, the people of the world get a little bit more evil every time they turn their television set on without realizing they're becoming a little bit more evil when you come to church and hear preaching from the word of God you'll get a little more holy a little more righteous even if you don't feel like it or realize that it happened Genesis chapter 6 this evening uh, the main passage we're going to read is from verses 14 to verse 22 Uh, But before we do read that verse, uh, you can't read Genesis chapter 6 without reading one other verse, even if you have to stick it out there by itself. It's a really, really important verse. Let's stand this evening for a reading from the Word of God. Genesis chapter 6, and the verse that I'm going to stand out by itself, which I I just feel like it would be bad to leave it out, is verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
That is such an important thing, and I'll come back to that in just a minute. Now, verse number 14, God tells Noah, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. That's increasingly important nowadays, isn't it? It it really is. Uh, If the political left had uh, been involved with Noah's Ark, they would have brought a whole bunch of males on or a whole bunch of females and all of those uh, animal species would have become extinct. Verse 20, Of fowls after their kind and of cattle after their kind, uh, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive And thou shalt take unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get stuck straight into it tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can be here this evening. Lord, I thank you that you managed to get me all the way here from uh, up in Chicago today and flying across the country and driving over here. And Lord, I pray that uh, during this time now that people would not hear from a person with a, a strange and different accent. But Lord, more importantly, may they hear from you this evening. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated now. Uh, Verse number 8, that verse I stuck out there all by itself, is a pivotal moment in human history because if Noah had not found grace in the Lord's eyes at that moment, it probably would have been all over for mankind. Uh, Everything stops if God doesn't doesn't find a man to extend grace to at that time, and uh, that was the man Noah. And there is a reason why. There is a reason why uh, that, that God extended grace towards Noah. Um, and it, it's found in the next verse. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now, I believe that we live in the last days. I think that's very, very obvious to uh, both saved and unsaved alike. Um, And if we are living in the last days, they are a parallel, according to Luke chapter 17, they are a parallel to the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, uh, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. And and if that's the case, if the days of Noah, it's not just that the earth was filled with violence and it was wicked and everything like that. That's true. But if, if... Genesis chapter 6 is a parallel to the time that we live in. It also means that God is looking for people today that he wants to extend grace towards and he wants to work through them. 
I would hope tonight that you would say, I want that to be me, Lord. I want you to extend your grace upon me in a special way. Not just the grace of salvation, but other graces that God has and that you would want him to walk through you. I would suggest to you tonight that he is seeking for people who want to walk with him. I believe also he's seeking for Christians who are just and perfect in their generation. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to work his grace through those people. Um, And the rest of the chapter tells you something. I know that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of works. Grace and works are, are separate things, are they not? In the issue of salvation, they are separate things. But you'll read in Titus chapter 2 that the grace of God that bringeth us salvation teaches us that we're supposed to be denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this world. Grace does lead, God's grace leads to a particular type of work in our lives. And you'll read here in Genesis chapter 6 that God who extended his grace towards Noah expected Noah to do some work in order for things to pan out the right way. God has a work for us to do. Uh, And that verse, uh, that work was very specific. It was very specific. God told told him, uh, I want you to build an ark. And and what did God tell tell Noah about the ark? He said, "I, I want you to build it 300 cubits long. Now a cubit is about one and a half feet. It's about 18 inches. So that's about 450 feet long, Noah's Ark. And he's told to build it how many cubits wide? 50 cubits wide, about 75 feet wide. And how many cubits high is he told to build it? 30 cubits high. So it's going to be about 45 feet high. Uh, And there are a lot of uh, people in the world today who are uh, critics and they are skeptics and they say Noah didn't do that and how could a man back in those days without Makita and DeWalt power tools how could he have possibly built anything like that well he had three obedient sons to start off with which is a whole lot more than a lot of people with a shed full of Makita and DeWalt tools have nowadays um, but he had plenty of time on his hands as well to get it done uh, and he did get it done and it was built the way the Bible said it was built Uh, And I'm a Bible literalist. I believe that they built that ark and I believe that that saved not just Noah and his three sons and their wives, but it saved the world that then was. And we're here today because of that. And God God was very specific about a lot of those details, wasn't He? You're going to build it with wood. And He didn't say to build it with metal because then we'd argue over whether it was pronounced aluminum or aluminium. Everybody knows in the original Hebrew it was aluminium and Americans changed it to aluminium and that's the new international version of metal. Um, So now that I've clarified that, but God said it was to be built with wood and he told him how long, how wide, how high. He told him how many levels to build it on. He told him to put a door in there. He told him to put a window in there and he told him to pitch it within and without. And that's a really important part. That's basically what I'm preaching about this evening. But you'll notice there's a couple of things. There's some of the details God didn't tell them. And there's something interesting about that ark that was completely left out. And that was a rudder. You know what Noah had to learn? This isn't about you going your direction, Noah. This is about going mine. And I'll take you where I want you to go. And I'll keep you out of harm's way throughout this whole journey that you're about to go on. 
And I'll make sure that when the waters start to assuage, as the Bible said, as the water starts to recede and go down. How about that? Uh, maybe some of you men tonight, you could say, I don't have a receding hairline. It's assuaged. Yes. Uh, and, um, but God allowed, a, God didn't give him all of the details. He was going to guide it where he wanted to go. It didn't need a rudder. But also some of the details, he didn't say whether to use uh, nails or screws. He didn't say whether the joints should be dovetail joints or mortise joints. And, and here's what I want you to understand there tonight. God has very specific things in his word that he tells us how to live. And when God tells us do this, we should do it. When he says don't do that, we shouldn't do it. But when God's word doesn't speak about something, it's okay for you to be you. Okay? God allows a certain amount. God doesn't want us all to be exactly the same as me. He doesn't want us all to be exactly the same as your pastor. One of the things that has been killing the independent Baptist movement is copycat mindset. There are certain camps and certain crowds that honestly they, they carry on in ridiculous ways. Uh, some of them think that I'm no good because I don't have, not just uh, don't have a handkerchief hanging out of my pocket, you've got to have three tips pointing up on your handkerchief. Uh, and they're doing that because that's what their preacher did. That's nonsense. We've got to have wiggle room to be us. Uh, and by the way, Oklahoma is allowed to do some things a little differently than what North Carolina does. Who does things a whole lot differently than the way that we would do church back in Australia. Your culture is allowed to be different than my culture and that's okay. North Carolina culture, I'm still not used to a lot of North Carolina culture and I've lived there about 12 years now. Everyone in the church, they're the friendliest people at church. Oh, no problem. Once they get into the car and the door goes clunk, they can't see you anymore. They get in their car and they drive. And God forbid you should get in the way, they will run you down. You try that in Australia and you will split the church. Getting in the car where I come from is a very important part of the church service. Pretty much, I mean, everyone goes outside and they all line up pretty much and you, you wind your window down for starters. As you, you shut the door, you wind your window down, you start the engine and then you stick your head out the window and you wave goodbye to everyone. Bye, bye, see you tonight. And don't forget, don't forget to toot the horn, not in a honk, honk kind of way, but in a friendly toot, toot kind of way. And, and you wave and no one goes back inside the church building until they're out of sight. That's Australian culture. Okay? It's different. Uh, and, and I thought that North Carolinian people were really rude for a while. And then I'm just like, no, that's just how they are. But they are really rude anyway. Um, you know, Southern culture and all that. Southern culture is just the history books. It doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but God's got some wiggle room. And he, he allows you to be you. And that's, that's a good thing. As long as you're not sinning. Okay, as long as you're not sinning, you're allowed to be you. And God gave him all of these instructions. And tonight I want to focus on the last part of verse 14. Uh, he was told to pitch it within and without. Now, if you study, uh, uh, study preachers, and I, I know to some people you might say that's a terribly boring thing to do. I personally find it a fascinating thing to do. I often, 
I'll read what uh, I've got a whole bunch of different commentaries, and I'm not the sort of person that sent uh, that tries to understand the Bible by reading what the commentators say. That's not what I'm doing. But I mean, I, you call it morbid curiosity if you want. I want to know what 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 do they think about this, and what's their point of view on these things. And most commentators and preachers from years gone by, and even in in modern times, they'll tell you that Noah's Ark is a picture and a type of salvation. And that just, it just makes sense. Um, just like Noah's Ark, uh, salvation was not conceived by a human mind. It was God's plan. Uh, it was God's divine plan. Just like Noah's Ark had its window uh, up above, salvation requires illumination from above by God's light. Uh, as I was driving here this evening, I'd left... Um, uh, Oklahoma City Airport, and I was starting on Interstate 40, um, and there was some clouds, and it's getting on, you know, the sun's starting to come down a little. You know how those those really nice, those days when the sun's shining through the cloud, and it's streaking rays of light, and there's, and it's alternating between shady and light, and shady and light. Well, it was, it was like that, and it was really quite spectacular, and as I was driving down the interstate, I think the wind was blowing out of the north, it was blowing fairly strong this afternoon. And there was a big old American flag on the side of the interstate. And it was blowing at right angles to the pole. And uh, it was one of those rare days where it's not flying at half-mast. It seems every second day of the year nowadays, the flag's at half-mast for some disaster. Um, and, uh, but the flag was at full-mast and it was blowing strongly in the breeze. And one of those streaks of light was directly on the American flag uh, and I, when I saw that, I prayed and I said, Lord, would you shine your light on this nation one more time? Uh, and that's what we need. We need light from heaven. We need a little reviving in our bondage, as, as God says in one place. And so the ark had a window that required illumination from God's light from above, and so it is with salvation. The ark had its single door of entrance. And so Jesus is the only door to heaven. He said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. And elsewhere he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he also said, if, you come, if someone's trying to get in any other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Uh, and if you understand uh, what happened with Noah's Ark on the day when the clouds rolled in and probably the thunder rolled and the lightning flashed and the rain started falling, I'm sure that the people who had been mocking Noah till that point were looking for any other way to get into that ark. And they were all thieves and robbers on that basis. Uh, like Noah's Ark, salvation is neglected by the masses and accepted by only a small minority. Like Noah's Ark, the means of our salvation involved the wood of trees. In Noah's day, it was the Ark of wood. In our case, it was the wood of the cross. The Jehovah's Witnesses just can't understand that. They have a strange obsession. I don't know if you've ever dealt with that with the Jehovah's Witnesses. They have a strange obsession with it not being a cross. It was just a wooden pole. It was just a wooden pole. That's not what the Bible says. Okay? It was a cross. Uh, and like the ark, 
Once the water falls and judgment begins, there is no second chance. There was no purgatory in Noah's day and there's no purgatory in our days either. It is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. Uh, And sadly also, like Noah's ark, when it comes to salvation, there is room for more than the people who will avail themselves of it. People are always arguing about, you know, Noah's Ark, if it was 450 feet long and 75 feet wide and 45 feet high and it was on three separate levels, they couldn't possibly fit in all of the animal species, blah, blah. They're they're arguing and they're missing the most important thing there. The real issue of Noah's Ark is not whether or not you could have fitted in all the animals. The real issue is the tragedy of how many more people could you have fitted in that didn't go. And by the way, so often we as Christians, we're arguing about all the wrong stuff instead of focusing on getting some people in. And so most preachers would agree with uh, those points and they would nod and say, yes, yes. But uh, many of the commentators don't even address this issue that Noah was told with the ark to pitch it within and without with pitch. I'm going to ask the kids tonight, uh, and, and I'll, let's say anyone under, anyone under 20. I feel sorry for people when they turn 19. In most churches, they think that 19s aren't teens anymore, but it does end with the word teen. So uh, if you're under 20, uh, and I know if you're a teen, you're not a kid, you're a teen, I get that. But uh, under 20s, under 20s, what on earth is pitch, and how do you pitch it within and without with pitch? Anyone know? Anyone ever heard it being talked about in Sunday school before? Okay, let's try the over 20s. Let's try them. Not with pitch. I'm going to ask a different question for them. From the time that the rain started until the day that Noah and his family stepped off of the ark, how long was it? That's an interesting one. How long was the rain for? 40 days and 40 nights. Anyone know how long it was before the ark bumped into the mountains of Ararat? That was 150 days. So in other words, after the rain stopped and Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives said, thank God the rain's finally stopped, it was another 110 days just floating around. Floating around. Is the water ever going down? By the way, when the water is above everything, you can't see and tell if the water's going down. Is it ever going down? We're running out of food here. And then one day on day 150, it bumps into the mountains of Ararat. And you know what they all said? Thank God. Oh, the water must be going down because we finally banged into something. And after that, after 150 days... And you know the stories of the doves and the ravens and everything like that going out to figure out when it's time to leave the ark. From the time the rain started to the time they left the ark is 370 days. It's a year, a Bible year, and 10 days. That's a long, long time. Um, Now, say, why did I tell you all of that? Kids, what was the ark made from? We already, t- I already talked about it. It was wood, wasn't it? 
What do you think might happen to wood if it was in water for 370 days? Soggy. It'll get soggy. And it's going to get soft. And it's probably going to rot and rot through. And so God told Noah to stop it from getting soggy and rotting through. Because what happens if they put the elephants on the lower floor? Those big fat elephant feet are just going to punch straight on through if that wood goes soggy and soft, aren't they? And when they do, the water comes in. And it's not just the elephants in trouble at that point. Everyone's in trouble. And so God told them to pitch it within and without. And we don't know exactly what pitch is. Some people say it was slime. Some people say it was... uh, Do you use the word bitumen? What do you use for... What do you drive down the road on? Asphalt. Asphalt. Okay, you call it asphalt. In Australia, it's called bitumen. Um, It actually sounds a little... It's actually pronounced bitumen, but people think that I'm using bad words when you say that, and so I don't want to do that. Uh, But asphalt, some people say that's what uh, pitch was, but it's also very, very possible. If you think about building a boat as big as they built, hand carving it with hand tools, they're going to have sap everywhere. And there's a very good chance that the pitch that they used potentially was actually wood sap and that they just rubbed all of that into it. Hopefully not by hand. But they sealed that boat, and how did they seal it? On the outside? To stop the water from getting in. But what was God's instructions also to do with that pitch? It's the inside. And that's a lot of what I'm going to focus on in the the next few minutes. If you turn to... uh, Actually, we won't turn there tonight. I'm going to to keep things moving. But I'm going to tell you something, and and I need someone to validate that I'm telling the truth. I, I... I like to take the time to read all of the passages of Scripture sometimes, but sometimes uh, I don't necessarily want you to trust me. If you want to check later whether I'm telling the truth, uh, go read Matthew chapter 23 from about verses 24 to verse 33. And in that passage you'll find that Jesus, the lovely Jesus, that the modern contemporary church tell us we all ought to be more like Jesus. They couldn't handle Jesus. They really couldn't. He called them a bunch of serpents and he called them a generation of vipers and he asked them, how can you, this is the religious crowd, how can you escape the damnation of hell? He told them they were all a bunch of hypocrites and do you know why he told them that? He said, you people, you take the cloth and you clean the outside of the plate and the cup really, really nicely. But the inside of the plate and the cup is filthy. And he said, you're like a bunch of people that paint the outside of the coffin really, really nice, but you've forgotten about the fact that inside that coffin it's full of dead men's bones. You know what Jesus was saying to him? There's a lot of skeletons in your closet. And you're real proud of your closet because it looks good on the outside and we painted it all up spiffy. Uh, And I'm not saying this to criticize independent Baptists. I believe that independent Baptists are are pretty much the remnant today of New Testament Christianity. But I am going to tell you straight and plain and true that we've got a lot of fraud going on in our ranks. And we've got a lot of people that have spiffed up and dressed up and polished up really nicely on the outside. But there's skeletons in the closets of 
the independent Baptist movement and within the hearts and within the spirit of the individual people. And that's what I want to address. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 23, Paul says, And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. When the Bible says that man was made in the image of God, it probably, we don't know this for sure, but it probably had less to do with what his face looked like and the fact that man is said to be, have been created in the image of God probably has a lot more to do with the fact that like God, the Trinity, and I know all of the cults have a fit if you say the word Trinity. Trinity is not in the Bible. No, but Godhead is. And Godhead is a Bible term. Uh, and that is the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And we three are one. Not like the new version say, we three are as one. No, we three are one. And just like God is three in one, so we are a body and a soul and a spirit. And sometimes, sometimes Christians... By the way, uh, before I even get into explaining what I'm about to say, how many of you, how many of you tonight you can say... I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as my, Savior, as my Savior. I realized I was a sinner. I repented of my sins. I called upon the name of the Lord to be saved because I knew I didn't have any other chance. And I know I'm saved. How many of you say tonight, I know I am saved? That is fantastic. That's what I would have kind of expected to, to see. But I want you to think tonight, if you got saved, if you're made up of three parts, a body a soul and a spirit, did all three of them get saved the day you got saved? They really didn't. Uh, I got a few shakes of the head, like a few folks understand that, that what, well, then the question we got to ask is what, what did get saved and, and what didn't get saved? Let's have a look at a few passages of Scripture tonight. Uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Do we have any orthopedic surgeons amongst our crowd tonight? No. I didn't think so. Do we have anyone that's willing to try? <laughs> You'd give it a try? I mean, it's not that hard. It's just angle grinders and tools and stuff like that. Um, so because none of us are orthopedic surgeons working with ligaments and tendons and cartilage and bones and things like that, it's really hard sometimes in some of the joints of the human body, it's hard to sometimes tell where the bone ends and where the soft tissue begins. There's these transitionary areas of, of the body and it's fascinating where, where all of that joins together. And the reason why that's important is this. If none of us would feel too comfortable this evening performing surgery to repair someone's damaged cartilage in fear of doing more harm than good, if that's how we feel about that, the Bible gives us an analogy in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, which says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the, to the dividing asunder of what? Soul and spirit, soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow. What the Bible's telling us there is something really, really interesting. 
In the same way that the joints and the marrow are so closely related but different, so also the soul and the spirit are closely related but different. The body is wildly different. The body is not a spiritual thing. But the soul is a spiritual thing. And the spirit is a spiritual thing. In the same way that in the Godhead... God the Father, you know what he says about himself? God is a, Jesus said about his Father, God is a spirit. In other words, the soul of the Trinity is a spirit, but the Holy Spirit is also a spirit. Those two are far more closely related within the Godhead than the bodily person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's still part of it. It's important to understand that. And and you say, why? I'm trying to get through the fact that a lot of Christians struggle to understand the difference between their soul and their spirit. And that's and it's the most fascinating thing. And I've heard good preachers over the years and, and what they actually teach about soul and spirit is actually the precise opposite of what the Bible teaches about soul and spirit. There is a reason why, and you'll see this as we go through Peter, there is a reason why I'll cut straight to the chase and then show you from the Bible. When you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as as your Savior, it was your soul that got saved. We're going to look at a few verses and and I'll show you that. And if if it was your soul that was saved, if you read in the Old Testament, it always talks about the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Bible doesn't say it's the spirit that sinneth, it's the soul that sinneth. Uh, the spirit, according to the Bible, according to the Bible, the spirit of a beast, an animal, goes downwards to the earth, but the spirit of a man goes upward. And, and the Bible says, and I don't understand everything about this. I don't claim to be uh, to know everything, but the Bible does say that the spirit shall return to God which gave it. And it doesn't say the spirit of a saved man returns to God which gave it. It just says the spirit of a man. If I understand my Bible correctly, and I do not understand everything about this, it appears that the spirit of even a lost person returns to God who gave it. But that soul, that soul that dies without the Lord Jesus Christ is in a world of trouble. You say, why? Because the soul is the part of you. Now the body feels things does it not the spirit thinks things but the soul makes decisions was there ever a time when you felt sad you felt depressed you felt lonely but there was nothing wrong with your body i'm not sick but my spirit is hurt It's talking to what we would say our brain, but is actually our soul. And then our soul has the opportunity to make decisions based on the feelings of the spirit. And because it is the soul that makes the final decision about what I'm going to do about how my spirit feels or how my body feels, it is the soul that is the intrinsically accountable part of a man to God because it makes the decisions. That's just a little primer there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. 
Paul goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, uh, that I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And if you say, well, that verse doesn't say that Paul committed his soul to Jesus. Well, let me read what Peter then clarified about Paul's writing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Peter says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. When we got saved, our soul got saved. Uh, And that is what no one can take from us. No one can take our salvation away from us. The government can't tax it or anything like that. And when the rapture occurs and the Lord takes our souls home, then off we go. Paul makes it quite clear elsewhere, uh, and it's a complicated passage of Scripture, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul talked about uh, the Spirit being saved in the day of judgment. And he's not talking about it being saved like your soul is, uh, but that's another study for another time. But Paul had realized long ago, and this is one of the most disappointing things, about life when I was young do you know what I used to think when I was young I used to think oh I can't wait till I'm old like some of these old people in the church because they don't seem to get tempted to do all of the dumb stuff that I get tempted to do in the flesh I'm now 51 years old and you know what I've learned I've learned that a 51 year old my flesh still reacts just like it does for a young dumb kid it's no better than it ever was it just aches and pains a little more and moves a little more slowly than it used to. That's disappointing, isn't it? I I wish when we got saved, I wish that our body was transformed at the moment of salvation, but it's a false false hope if you just start thinking that way, and false hopes lead to disappointment, disappointment leads to discouragement, and there's a lot of Christians on the side of the road spiritually tonight because God didn't meet their false expectations. Paul said about his body, he said, Romans 7 verse 24, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's the man who's probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. And he said, I'm a wretched man and I just want to be delivered from this body of death. But Paul didn't give up hope on his body forever. He talked about that further in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 to verse 44, where he said, so also is the resurrection of dead. And he's talking about the body here. And he, you know what he says? He says, it is sown in corruption. When they put our body down into the ground, it's sowing a seed and it's corrupt when it goes into the ground. That's why we die, because it's corrupt. But then he says, it's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And then he says, this is a very interesting thing. He said, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if you want to understand what that spiritual body is like, study everything you can and learn everything you can about what Jesus was like after he rose from the dead. There's your spiritual body. It's the body that walks through walls when the doors are shut. 
It's the body that just appears in places. It's the body that um, 40 days after his resurrection, he's standing there with his disciples. It's the body that floats straight up into the air and a cloud receives him out of their sight. Do you realize everything I just described about that spiritual body? You can watch that on a horror TV show on the television tonight. And instead of it being about the spirit of Christ, it's the spirit of Antichrist on the television set. But the fact that they have an obsession with that kind of thing, all that does is show you that it's real. They want what we've got, but they will not repent to get it. That's the defining characteristic of the day and age that we live in. You go read the book of Revelation and it just says over and again and again and again and they repented not and they repented not and they repented not and that's the state and spirit of the world tonight. So when we get saved, our soul is saved eternally and we should be very, very thankful for that. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. I'll tell you straight up tonight, I'm not going to finish this message, which means maybe tomorrow or something like that. Uh, I'll get into the practical application of what we need to be doing. So this is more just some, some doctrine. I hope you enjoy a, a little bit of Bible doctrine. A lot of people, they're just happy they're saved and they have no idea uh, what actually took place and what actually happened. It's like, oh, I'm, just, I'm glad I'm saved. You know, uh, I tell you, not only should we know what happened to us when we get saved, but we ought to also study the great price that was paid. It's so easy just to say, oh, Jesus died on a cross for our sins. Study what the Bible says. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. They cut him open like a field that you see out on the side of the interstate being plowed in springtime. The Bible says they plucked out his beard. I promise you kids, do we have any? Oh, we've got a man with a beard. Oh. One, you kids, just ask him. Say, Dad, can I take her hair out? <laughs> How many of you have ever done anything like that? It brings tears to your eyes to get one. But they plucked his beard out. And the Bible says, and I don't know, I'm not trying to be gross or graphic this evening. I've seen some gross and graphic things in my lifetime. I've seen some things I... I just don't like. I don't talk about a lot of the things I've seen. I've seen some people that have been, let's just say, messed up. But the Bible says that Jesus' face, the look on his face, which is called his visage, the Bible says it was so marred, more than any man. And I've seen some people, I've seen faces on people like, how did they even live? But the Bible says his visage was so marred more than any man. We ought to study about what the price of our salvation was because it changes us. When we understand the high price of salvation, we understand also that we should not have a casual attitude towards sin. But things happen to us when we got saved. Internal things happen. And that's where we're going to look in Colossians chapter uh, 2. And at the end of verse 8, the last two verses of verse 8, Colossians 2 verse 8, it says, after Christ. And verse 9 takes it up for in him, that is Christ, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, we talked about the Trinity, bodily. Everything about the Godhead was in Jesus bodily while he was here on earth. 
probably why the Bible says in Timothy, great was the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. All these people that want to criticize our King James Bible and say, oh, their version is just as good as our version. Most of those versions where it says God was manifest in the flesh, most of those versions follow the Jehovah's Witness, New World Translation, and they take the word God out and replace it with the word He... And, and, and then they'll have the audacity to tell you that, you know, that probably wasn't in the original manuscript. And, and if you've ever heard anyone saying anything like that, what, what you don't know if you haven't studied the manuscript evidence, there are 252 manuscripts that have that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Of those 252 manuscripts, 250 of them say Theos, God. Only two manuscripts do not say God. And one of them is Alexandrinus and the other one Sinaiticus. They are two of the most corrupt of all of the Greek manuscripts. You know what you're doing? You are taking 250 credible witnesses and you're allowing a judge or a jury to ignore 250 sane, credible people because they found two madmen in the gutter on the side of the street. No, no honest person would do that. There's a spirit about people wanting to choose that in, in the face of all of the evidence. And so the Bible says that talking about Jesus in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse number 10, and ye are complete in him. That's a really important thing. By the way, uh, you young people growing up, as you grow up, sometimes you're going to feel like there's something missing. You're going to feel, it's awkward growing up. I still remember growing up. You feel sometimes like you're, you're an odd boy, you're a little bit left out. I, I'm not even a whole person. I'm, in, I'm incomplete. No, you're not. You're complete in Him. You really are. So don't trust your feelings on that. Ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the, notice what it says next, the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. This is an amazing passage. This is very, very important doctrine to understand what takes place here in Colossians chapter 2 when you get saved it's so important. By the way, what I just read there happened to a grand total of zero people in the Old Testament. We are talking here about what the Bible says is an operation performed by God without hands, and it is an operation similar to the human physical procedure of circumcision. It is a separation performed with a sharp instrument and it separates something that was otherwise corrupted. And if you understand what the Bible teaches about uh, the circumcision of the Jews, it had to do with the fact that God was preserving a seed line for the Messiah 
It was a symbol of purity and the new birth that was coming. And so it is when we get saved, God performs an operation that didn't take place in the Old Testament. You read in the Old Testament, there's some scary passages out there. If a righteous man lives all his days in his righteousness and and yet towards the end of his life he commits sins, he'll die in his sins. What? They didn't have eternal security like you and I do. And all, all of the cults without exception run to passages in the Old Testament and talk about how you can lose your salvation and they'll try and teach things like there is no such thing as a soul. They'll try and teach things like there is no such thing as an eternal lake of fire where souls go to hell because they'll say it's just the grave. It's where the body goes. See, when the soul dies, the soul and the body go down into the grave. They don't understand that in the Old Testament, the soul and the body were intrinsically tied together. And that's a bad thing. Because the body is sinful. The reason why we're all sinners today is because our father was a sinner. Hey, all you ladies should love this. It's got less to do with the fact that mama was a sinner. And it's got a whole lot more to do with the fact that daddy was a sinner. And the Bible says in Romans that death passed upon all men for the all of sin. You can thank dad for the fact that you're a sinner. But it was passed down from one body to body to body. And the body and the soul in the Old Testament was stuck together. But when we get saved, remember we are a body, we are a soul, and we are a spirit. And when you got saved, the Bible says that God performs an operation without hands. And He comes in and He separates your soul. It's still inside your body, but it's no longer attached to your body. And it doesn't get touched because he doesn't just separate it just like a good surgeon does when a surgeon's doing his work. He cauterizes everything and seals things up. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, that we are to grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. I can sin in my flesh and it will not touch my soul, because God has performed an operation. And that's where eternal security comes from. We've got, we've got independent Baptists today that don't understand the doctrine of eternal security anymore because they don't study the Word of God. We've got preachers in independent Baptist churches. They'll call themselves King James only preachers in independent Baptist churches telling people that they can lose their salvation and they have to get born again and again and again. No, once this operation has taken place, you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Your soul is saved. Your soul stays within your body, but it's separated and it's sealed. And read in the Old Testament that at the time of death, even though the soul and the body were stuck together in life at the time of death, what did the Bible say about Rachel as she was dying? It came to pass as her soul was in departing. Your body, the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So inside of our body, we have a saved soul. What about our spirit? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4.
Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. When Jesus was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees about the plate and the cup, and he said, you guys are doing a great job on the outside, but you're doing terribly on the inside. The Pharisees and the scribes were very, very good at dealing with those external fleshly sins. Can I put it to you like this? Scribes and Pharisees in our day and age. I'm not necessarily saying that they would believe the King James Bible. But scribes and Pharisees would carry it. And they would go to church, and if they were men, they would wear a collar and a tie and maybe a coat. And if they were ladies, they would wear a skirt or a dress, and they would make their hair look nice, and they would, all of those things, and they would say all of the right things, and they would go to church, but you can be like that on the outside and be as corrupt as hell itself on the inside. And that's why, that's why, and we'll come back to this, like I said, I'm going to stop short tonight for your own sake and your own mercy. But I do want you to start thinking about this. God told Noah on the ark, and by the way, God didn't say let the outside go. Right? And sometimes the contemporary church is so obsessive with, well, we, we need to make, take care of these spiritual matters that they don't even care what the outside appearance looks like anymore. No, God said, no, the outside needs to be pitched as well, but we want to pitch it within. And the outside threat is obvious, but the internal threats and the internal risks to our ark are less so. And that's what we'll get to in the next in the next part. Suffice to say for this, I, I will finish uh, with, with this one passage and we'll go there again another time. But James chapter 3. James chapter 3. As soon as you turn to James chapter 3, anyone that's super familiar with the Bible probably starts thinking, oh, he's talking about the tongue, the tongue, the tongue. And we'll get to that because James chapter 3 does have a lot to say about our human tongue. But those aren't the verses that I'm going to look at right now. James chapter 3 and verse 14. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual. Look at this next word. Devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion. Let me just pause. Let me just pause a minute. People are like, oh yeah, I know. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, which is true. He's not. But if you want to understand how strong that word confusion is, when the Bible says where envy and strife is, there is confusion. Go back to the Old Testament and find out where the word confusion gets used in the Old Testament. It's one of the vilest of all sins that ever got committed by humans. Look it up. 
it won't be too many more years and they'll be trying to legislate to allow that sin of confusion. It's serious business. When God says, that's confusion. He's described as confusion and it's very serious. He's described as devilish, very serious. And you say, what is it? Just envying, bitter envying and strife in your hearts. Can I tell you tonight that what's killing, what's killing the independent Baptist churches around this nation is not the outward sins of the flesh. Now, I'm not proud of what I'm about to say. I'm ashamed of it and it's sad. There are supposedly good preachers falling into moral sin and losing their ministries on an almost weekly basis in this nation. And that's not what's killing us. It's the stuff inside the ark. It's what's inside the ark. And I'm going to come back to that next time. Suffice to say that the threat inside the ark was not the water on the outside getting in. They pitched it without to protect them from that. But what did they take into the ark, kids? Animals? Good. And what else did they take into the ark? He told them to take in food, and he said the food would be for you and the animals. Everything that goes in, whether it's going into a human or an animal, everything that goes in the front end eventually comes out the back end. And you say, oh, that's gross. Yeah, it's precisely that why Noah and his sons were told to pitch the ark on the inside. And there's a whole lot of people that have got spiritual sin in their heart and it's far more dangerous than water on the outside. It's going to rot. It's going to stink. It's going to fester. And you will destroy that ark from the inside out if you don't pitch it within and without. And that's what I'm going to come back to in sort of part two of this message. Here's what I'll finish. I'll finish with this thought. We need to be concerned about external sins. We need to be concerned about fleshly sins. Young people, can I tell you this? Don't ever take up smoking. Don't even think of going anywhere near drugs. Don't drink alcohol. You say, everyone tries alcohol. I'm 51 years old. I come from a nation of alcoholics. Australia is the heaviest drinking nation on God's earth, and I've never had a drop of liquor once in my life. You don't have to do those things, kids. And we ought to focus on on the external things, but we ought also to understand the things that you can hide and the things that you can deny, such as being envious of someone else in your church, having a strife, having a quarrel. It doesn't even have to become verbal. I'm telling you, if it's verbal, you'll eat that person up if you tell them what you think. But if you're thinking it and you're not telling them, it's eating you up. And that's where I want you to focus tonight on this thing. It needs to be pitched within and without. Thank God our soul is sealed, but we need to take great care to our spirit. And that's what I'll finish on next time. Thank you, preacher.